I was, um, I got this, I'm a, as you know, I'm a, I've said before, I, there's so many different versions of the Bible and a common question we get asked by new Christians, which there's a whole bunch in our church, which is exciting, is what version of the Bible should we use? And, and everyone has strong opinions over Bible uh, versions, and I'm a fan of the NASB, because I think it's the most accurate and literal, over the King James which my daughter Emily and I vigorously contend on a regular basis. Although this morning, while Emily was literally sitting at our dining table, studying Isaiah with colouring pencils and note-taking pens, fastidiously, I was watching skydiving movies on YouTube. So uh, she should really be preaching this morning. Um, But I did buy myself this new NIV, and um, I just started to re-familiarise myself with it. And these verses leapt out of me, and I thought, that is... That is so God speaking to me, but also felt it was God speaking to us as a church. So I'm going to read them to you, and I'm going to share what I think is maybe a little message to us from the Lord as a church, as we step into 2019, with everything we've got going on and everything we're contending for, which is a lot. Now, now some of you here are new believers. And some of you have been walking with the Lord a long time, and some of you are still investigating. But let me tell you that you'll notice when you, when you gave your life to Christ, that moment you did that, some remarkable things happened straight away. I mean, you, you now have a destiny. Your, your life's not just going to be over. You know you've got a Father in heaven who loves you and has made a way for you. Jesus died for you. He rose again. And you're going to be with him forever. And not just wafting about on a cloud. I mean, knowing real life, whole life, fullness of joy. That's what I believe it's going to be like when we die. We'll wake up as if it's from a dream. And we'll be experiencing life like you wouldn't believe it. That happens. You're a new hope, new destiny, new future. Jesus said, I come to give you fullness of life. All these amazing benefits. Some people coming out of broken backgrounds can't believe it when they meet Jesus. Like, I've got new mates, new family, new community. I've got a destiny. I've got all these amazing things. I've got shalom. Now, we might not always feel like we're full of complete peace and joy, but actually, the Bible says you can access it. You can turn to God and access peace. I mean, sometimes I've said to people, I'm having a little minor hissy fit about something. I can normally sort my head out quite quickly because you lean on God's peace. You, know, you ask the Holy Spirit to come and help you and work things through and that, that's available. But that's not all there is. See, I think a lot of churches talk about those things, but we don't talk about the cost. And Luke 9:23 says, if anyone would come after me, this isn't my verse of the year, this is the background to my verse of the year. If anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily or follow me. Now, I, I read that and I think, ew, I don't actually want that bit. I don't, I don't, I don't want the cost bit. I want the, I want the blessings bit. I mean, everyone wants a blessing bit, right? But I don't necessarily want the cost bit. But it means that when we give our lives to Christ, also, the Bible describes it, that you're, you're a bondservant or a slave to Christ. Like, so 
the aim is you become fully surrendered. So your life choices, you know, the way you use your time, like everything is submitted to Christ. Let me say you can't have a laugh. Watch a movie, eat some popcorn like we did as a family last night. But it means that you, the trajectory of your life is, is towards Christ now. You're putting him front and centre and you're dying to self. Now, in our culture, the emerging culture, that's actually a very difficult thing now. Um, this whole culture of entitlement that's springing up and, you know, I'll only do the things that please me. I was saying to something, someone the other day, I noticed a difference at work. I had a lot of staff in one job. And if I said to someone who was sort of around my age, could you do this for me by Monday? They'd be like, either okay, or no, I can't, it's going to take me till Wednesday. And say, fine. If I say it to someone, of a, not everyone, but if I say it to typically someone in the younger generation, I say, this would be like the message to us. Say, could you do this for me by Monday? They go, it's like some young 18-year-old kid, they go, why? They go, because I just want you to do it. And they go, yeah, but why? I don't have to explain it. I just need you to do it. I'm really busy. But no, I don't see the point. But I do. Just need you to do it. And it's this whole entitlement thing, you see. But actually, knowing Jesus cuts through all of that, no matter how old you are. You, you actually have chosen to lay your life down. And one of the big problems we have as gospel preachers is we don't always spell out the cost. But we're sitting here, not just because certain things in this church float our boat, but because God's called us to mission in Chesterfield, to be the ones who lay our lives down for the broken, hurting, needy, lost, poor. That's, that's actually part of why we're here. It's like a big part of why we're here. And that leads me into my verses of the year, which is one particular verse, See if you can guess it while I read it. This is 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26 onwards. And see if you can spot my verse of the year. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. In fact, I don't think we've got anyone of noble birth in the church, have we? Any, any sort of uh, hidden aristocrats knocking about? Just... How disappointing. We'll have to get the duke here, won't we? Uh, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. So that's encouraging for most of us. Especially a want for boy. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. This is, this is the countercultural kingdom. God chose the lowly things of this world and, and the despised things. And the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you to test me about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. There's some mighty power verses for the start of 2019. Anyone guess which is my verse? Out of that huge collection. Yeah, sorry, boasting is my second favourite. But it's the first point. Sorry, what was the other one? 
Yeah, that, that, yeah, that's that's what Louise said, and actually, I really feel like I should have said that one now. Um, actually, the one that, oh, maybe that should be rebuke from the Lord, but the one I really, oh, that'd be terrible. Um, the one that really gripped me was one Corinthians two verse two. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I'm like, I read that, and I thought that's that's what I want. I, I just I want to know Jesus more, and and if and and it's, it is connected to the boasting thing because actually, you know, one of the most precious things you can do is actually point beyond yourself to Christ and attribute anything that's good to Him, which was my first point really. Now I want us to individually, which then collectively makes up the church, be a people that boast only in the Lord. Do you know one of the best things? I mean, this, in the culture now of selfishness and entitlement, which creeps into the church as well, and all the performance stuff that can sweep over us, and do you know one of the best things that you can do? If anyone compliments you or sees anything good in you and says it, and I'm not, I, whatever your profession is, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, one of the best evangelistic responses you can give is, Actually, can I just say that if you see anything good in me, and you might see a lot of bad things as well, but if you see anything good in me, it's actually not me. It's only the one who's working in me, who's more powerful and great than I am, who's been changing my life. They go, who's that then? So he's called Jesus. That is one of the best things that you can do. People will see your flaws if they see anything good, and your flaws are yours. That's, that's you. Do you know, I once said to someone once, or someone, it's not a, a line original to me, um, but one of the hardest things actually in, in church life is being a preacher and you're trying to create this culture because if you preach a really good sermon, it was the Lord, but if it was really bad, it was your fault. So, like, as it should be. As it should be. If good things happen in the church, it's the Lord. The bad things... As our fault, as leaders, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the human stuff getting in. But the good stuff is all the Lord. Now, it's just a simple point, really. Can we be a church that boasts in the Lord? And in order to do that, it means that we've got to practice great humility and exercise that. So we, we don't want to be just consumed with us. We want to be praying for all the other churches in the town and in the surrounding area that they are bigger and better and more effective than us. I've always said we don't want to be the biggest and best church in town, we just want to have the largest flags. That's, I've just got to think about that. That's a joke. People are actually worried then. It's losing the plot. But I'd love it if we were prayerful about the other churches in town. And if, if people say, oh, you've got a good thing going on there, oh, okay, we say, yeah, it's God's kindness actually. Because sometimes, if I'm honest, I drive home from church a little giggle to myself. Sometimes I think, that's a little bit ropey that Sunday. Or I didn't quite get that point across, or I forgot that. Or, oh, I wish I hadn't have said that like that. Or that conversation didn't go well. Now that's just us. You be honest about it. We're not trying to be perfection. We're trying to honour God and put him first, aren't we? So let's pray for the other churches in the town. Walk in humility. Learn to point beyond ourselves to Christ. And, most importantly, let's talk more about Jesus. Like, I don't, I don't mind if that gets a bit obsessive. 
I've said this before. I knew when the Holy Spirit was moving very powerfully in the last church I was leading, when I was queuing up for a cup of tea and I could hear people talking about the Lord and what Jesus had done in their lives that week and what they were learning. And that is boasting in the Lord. See, that's talking about the Lord a lot. So here's the thing we'd love to start doing this year, and I've mentioned this before. Sometimes in our worship times, it'd be so good if we could have, you know, some weeks we're saying, um, who wants to share something that's happened this week? They've seen Jesus do. So you want to hear where Jesus is at work in your workplaces, don't we? Or in the small things. How many people have encountered Jesus while they're like loading a dishwasher or anyone? Or brushing their teeth? Seriously, encounter God in the mundane. Anyone ever had that? Surely. We want to hear about those moments. It's not just the big church stuff or when we're here on a Sunday. It's boasting the Lord through what we see him do all through the week, isn't it? I'd love it if we could get that culture into our church this year. We're boasting in the Lord. The second thing that it seems to me the Bible is absolutely clear on, and this is at the beginning of chapter 2. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. A couple of things I want to say about that. It does not matter who you are in order to serve the Lord. He's not looking for the most eloquent, thankfully. He's not looking for the best accents, thankfully. He's not looking for the highest degree calls, thankfully. He's not looking for the most qualified on paper. Do you know what Jesus is looking for? To serve him? People are putting front and centre to be super passionate. Their heart's all out for him. And I sometimes worry, you know, that sitting in a church, you have this amazing group of people who are so super gifted, but you, know, you have this little nagging voice that says, but God wouldn't use me. He, he wouldn't use me. Like, why would he want to use me? And I'm telling you, that is a lie straight out of the pit of hell. Because there is something you're all created for. Like, God looks at you and he's given you gifts and abilities. And I believe he just wants to unleash it. Like, we, we should have, you know, we need structure and organisation in the church as it grows. But we also want to release the entrepreneurs and the creatives. We want to release those who are operational gifting, those who want to get alongside the poor and the hurting and the broken. And, you know, small jobs, big jobs, it doesn't really matter. I, I, I think he just wants humility and passion. And he'll, and he'll use you. And just as a little aside, I mean, this is a point I was going to mention later, but I think I'll do it now. Um, this humility thing and boasting only in the Lord is actually really important. Luke 16.10 says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And sometimes we want the big and interesting things to do now. But I tell you when I've most noticed God's smile, when I diligently do stuff in the background that no one's noticing. Or getting here early or visiting someone that, you know, is lowly in the eyes of the world, but who God loves and no one knows about it. On my, you know, we've all got loads of got social media, haven't we? On my Twitter thing, it says, 
You know, there's no limit to what a man can do if he doesn't mind who gets the credit. You know, that was, Reagan had that above his desk, so I nicked it off him. But um, I think that's beautiful. I think it gets God's attention. You know, serving in the hidden areas. And, and if we can be trusted with the small things, then maybe God will grant you something big. But also a great challenge is, you could have been doing something big and be prepared to do something small and hidden. But just boasting the Lord. I think if we've got that as our heart, God will use us mightily. Now, I'll tell you a little story. When I was called into ministry, I was actually, for a while, 10 years, a Baptist minister. And when you're called into Baptist ministry, you have to go through three interview stages. One is with the area superintendent, who is like a bishop. And uh, so I did that. And then you have to go to something called the Ministerial Recognition Committee, which is as deadly as it sounds. And I went to a, a hall in Ipswich, which smelled faintly of urine and had 12 angry men in it. It was horrible. You walked in, I was in a suit, Karen was with me, and um, I stood there with 12 angry looking men in this smelly hall. I'd just been offered a hundred grand a year job in banking. And uh, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm gonna be a millionaire by the time I'm 30. But God was calling me into ministry seat. So I could duck and dive and hustle in banking sales, but my theology was a bit ropey. First question. I'm standing there. Carl, Karen, lovely to meet you. Give me three theologies out of the book of Romans. I was like, ew. Um, ew. Uh, grace stuff? I was like that. They went, hmm. They said, hmm, interesting. Um, what do you know about the book of Isaiah? Oh, Old Testament? Yeah, yeah, okay. And then they said, uh, it was literally that bad. And then they said, uh, can you read from, you know, Colossians chapter 1 for a chapter? That was how they decided if you could preach or not, if you could read the Bible publicly well. So I did that. And it's the worst interview of my life. It's terrible. And I was driving home. I think Karen was just in despair. And um, uh, when we got home, there was this, there was this sort of astonished phone call from the Ministerial Recognition Committee, which sort of went something like, well, we're not quite sure why, but we think you're called. <laughs> And, uh, so, oh, thanks very much. They said, but we don't want you to go to co college part-time, so I wanted to go part-time to plant a church. They said, we don't think you know much theology. They said, but we think you're really passionate. But thanks. So, so we want you to go to college full-time. So Karen and I didn't want to go and move to Croydon from where we were in Essex. But we, we put our house in the market because we just wanted to serve the Lord. And we couldn't really afford London, so we were looking at this like tiny basement flat without windows near the college and, um, and wasn't going to be paid for probably three, four years. Uh, but I just wanted to serve the Lord. Anyway, then I went to Spurgeon's College for the next stage of interviews, which was a whole weekend. Long story short, every single interview was a disaster. So they would say, hello, Carl and Karen, please sit down. Tell us, like every interview started with, didn't it? Tell us. Why do you feel called to be a Baptist minister? And I would say something like, well, so I gave my life to Jesus. And then I realized that some people were facing a lost eternity. And at that point, I would burst into tears and sob. And I'd literally, like a man, so I'd be like, <laughs> like Karen sitting there going, what's happening? 
I mean, it's like one of the only times Karen's ever seen me cry was every interview at Spurgeon's College. So then, like, I'd be messy and wailing and, like, like bent over, sobbing my heart out. And then I'd go into the next interview and they'd say, tell us, Carl, why do you feel cool? And I'd go, it's just because... And it would get even worse. Literally, like, doubled over in his chair. So this went on for a weekend, and, um, which is bad. And um, I actually had, like, stomachache. My stomach muscles were aching. Um, underdeveloped six-pack. Anyway, and um, uh, the one thing I did do all right was a preaching test. Uh, that was okay. Oh, I did get a bit weepy doing that as well. And then, at the end of it, at the end of a weekend of selection, what they do is, if you've been successful, you walk through these double doors and the whole of what they call the college conferences there, the trustees, the staff, the leaders, they're all there. And they give you a standing ovation as you walk in. They say, you, you know, you're in, welcome to the brother and sisterhood of Baptist ministry, lay hands on you and pray for you. It's a glorious thing. I got called through the double doors and there was one old lady sitting there. I went, oh, this might not be so good. And she said, do please sit down. She said, I am the Spurgeon's College psychologist. <laughs> she said, true. Karen was there. I went, oh. She said, we'd noticed you've had some very interesting reactions to just one or two interview questions. And she said, I said, oh. She said, tell me, why do you feel called? So I was like, oh. So I said, took a deep breath and went, well, I thought I'm going to get through this. This is going to be fine. I'm, I'm going to be fine. Well, it's because I met Jesus, and then I realized that people were facing her. <laughs> just broke completely in front of her. thought, this is absolutely terrible. And at the end of it, so I'm sobbing, and she said nothing. Then she looked at me. She put her hand on my shoulder, and she said, don't worry. You're not mad. It's the Holy Spirit. She said, God, God's resting his spirit on you. So I think he called. I thought, well, he said he, died. he knows your heart. It's in your heart. He called. Like that. And I started crying again. It was actually rubbish. <laughs> but then they sat me down and said, no, you need to come to college full time because you don't even know what the book of Isaiah is about. And, <laughs> um, but then they changed their mind. They actually decided, this is the thing, you trust the Lord. And we put our house on the market. And at the last minute, for the first time, in Spurgeon's College, college conference selection history, they reconvened the whole selection committee without telling anyone to ratify a decision to change their minds so that I could plant a church on a council estate while studying full time. It had never been done before in the history of the college conference meeting. And the reason they gave was, God is looking for passionate, obedient people, and we see that you are, and you'd be wrong to stand in his way. I was an Essex lad. I didn't know anything. I'd not been to any posh school. I'd not studied theology, but I knew my saviour is the point. The first lecture I ever went to, I'm not kidding, at Spurgeon's College, it was called homiletics. I thought it was something you needed an anointment for. I had actually no idea what anyone was talking about. Half of my course had been to like Oxbridge, and then there was me, Cov Polly. 
building degree. God uses and raises up the passionate. Do not think that he's put you on the shelf because you're not qualified. You could not have been a Christian for that long and God wants to use you. He's not looking for posh or poor. He's looking for passion. He's looking for obedience. And we so need an army raised up in this church who rely on God. And this is the second bit. 1 Corinthians, the third bit. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4 to 5. is so clear that we, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. God likes people who lean on him and trust him. And God likes churches that do the same. He smiles on those churches because you're fully dependent on him. Now, we, we have ambition in God to reach a lot of people. We want to plant churches and, and we want to reach the poor and the hurting and the broken. And, you know, God has gifted people in our leadership team, people in the church with great ability and wisdom and, like, Mike's, like property stuff and on the leadership team with it all, I don't understand half of it with the planning stuff and you know Rich with his money and project planning and Karen with her operational gift and you know, people with gifts of bible teaching like Dan and you know there, there's all of this happening in our leadership team but do you know what unless we lean 100% on God we're stuffed because our human wisdom is very limited actually like this building we're looking at, humanly, it's ridiculous. I mean, the early indications are, I and mean, we will put this to the church when we know the full story because we've got our entrances together. It's going to cost quite a lot of money. Like, humanly speaking, that's without having a survey report, just, just from people who know buildings like you know, Mike and the team, just looking at the building. Like, it's crazy. But, but we've got if it's right, it's possible. It could totally surprise us. And God, I think, wants to give us a story for future generations of a church that lent on him. And we saw demonstrations of the Spirit's power. That's what I believe. But humanly, it's stupid. But I was having a, I was having a, I'll organise this little lunch. I might have mentioned this before, but it's worth mentioning again for those who weren't here. I organised a little lunch for leaders in the town. So I've been gathering them lately. And uh, Pastor Toyin from Grace Chapel leaned over to me. She said, she literally, she's really forceful. She went, she's quite commanding, really, Toyin. She's quite scary. Always repent of my sins when she walks in the room, just in case the Lord speaks to her prophetically. <laughs> anyway, known and unknown, I might add. So um, she, uh, she came in and she went, what is happening with the building? And I said, just like that, actually. And I said, well, you know, we're waiting on a survey. She said, God is calling you into the town centre, Carl. So it was so gracious said, we need, we need your church in the town centre. I went, thing is, thing is, Toyin, it's a big ask. You know, early indications are the, the building's way beyond what we're able to cope with. You know, it's cost a lot of money. She went, Carl, she said, if it is not bigger than you, it is not God. <laughs> I went, I just want to have me pork schnitzel <laughs> in Einstein's. But I thought, that's true, isn't it? I had a weight of the Lord behind it. If it's not bigger than you, it is not God. Uh, you pray for any healing, it's bigger than you. 
You pray for any intervention in a marriage, that's bigger than what we've got. Any intervention in a financial situation, that's bigger than what we've got. But the Bible here is absolutely clear. This is Paul, educated man, elite academic, uh, amazing apostle. My message and my preaching are not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. What if this year we are the church that rests on the power of the living God? and not on our own understanding. 100%. Now, we've got a big vision, and I believe it's in the Lord. But wouldn't it be so good is that the chat becomes, but the Lord will help us, as he, have, as he has so far. The Lord will help us. And there's, there's, there is wisdom, and he will intervene and stop us. If that building is crazy, and he wants us to do something else, that's fine. But what I'm saying is, our default position should be, if the Lord will help us, then it's going to be amazing. Because this is, this is the God who helped Nehemiah rebuild a wall in 52 days. You know, this is, this is the God who took the people through the Exodus. The God who raised up Moses, who couldn't even speak properly, and used him to command a nation. Like, our God can do anything, can't he? So uh, the year, really, of if God is with us, then so be it. And finally, that we are the church that resolves to know Jesus more and more and more in our character, in our hearts. I mean, I, I think it's so humble of Paul, isn't it? This educated man, steeped in learning, and he said, I resolve to know nothing among you than Christ and him crucified. And there is a pressure, you know, on preachers and teachers and churches to keep coming up with some new hidden truth or some in-depth thing every week. And we're doing the Truth Project because we want people to get to grips with the Bible and we're doing our connect groups where we dig deeper into stuff like that and maybe this year you resolve to get in one of those if you're not already in one because it's a great way to have community. But actually, do you know what? Most of the stuff that Jesus taught was around heart and character, opposite spirit, grace, peace. Isn't it? Being meek, kind, so when we got that nailed, then we'll go deeper into some technical theology. How about that? Because I know I'm not there yet, and I've been preaching the Bible for over 20 years. You know, and I, I have to humble myself before God all the time. Even driving along, I can get all chippy about something. Anyone else get that? Yeah, and I think, well, that, that's not very Christ-like. Agitated in the queue at Morrison's. I'm getting agitated in the queue at Morrison's for. I'm saved. <laughs> Taking longer to buy pork pie. So what? <laughs> isn't it? What am I getting round up about that for? Stupid, isn't it? What are you getting round up in the traffic jam for? Stupid, isn't it? Getting round up about something in the church. It's not consequential to people's destiny. It's just Let's be full of peace. Let's resolve to know Jesus more. I told you, you know, about the naughty conversation I had once, which I did get rebuked for years ago. Years ago. I was a young, restless church planter, and this dear, dear lady came in. I was saying to some friends over dinner on Friday, actually, who moaned at me about the redecoration we were doing in the foyer, about the colour of the paint and the nature of the chairs. And she was a lovely lady. She was so full of the Lord. But I did have a little pissy fit moment. 
and um, said I didn't want to talk to her anymore. Which I did get told off for that bit. But I didn't get told off for the rest of it. Because what I said was, when we really love in Jesus, and there are no more homeless people in our town, and, and you know, 95,000 people aren't going to hell. I talked to you endlessly about paint colours. But until then, I just want to talk about Jesus. You just want to worship him. You know, I don't want to be caught, I don't want to be caught up in that stuff. So I talked to you endlessly about those things then, but can we resolve to know Jesus? Can we resolve to know Jesus more? Full of peace. Passion for the lost. Can we, can we hold off any rows about anything? Not there is one at the moment, but can we hold off any rows until there are no homeless people? It's boasting nothing but the Lord. Be good, wouldn't it? I think it would get God's attention, his smile. I think, you see, God has done something absolutely stunning in this church. And I know he would want to derail it. Well, it's an enemy, isn't it? But the simple path to God's attention is humility, boasting nothing but Christ, love the unlovable, serve in hidden small areas, boasting in nothing but Jesus and resolve to know him more. My, my encouragement to you would be, as a church, and this is what I'm going to be doing, is I'm going to be, we'll be teaching Matthew again soon, from next week actually, Jim's preaching. Actually, you know, Jim might not be picking up, might be doing something else, but that's fine. But Andy then, I think, that's it. Andy's picking up Matthew. But I'm going to go back to the Beatitudes. There's my month of reading. And if you don't know what they are, go to Matthew 5 and read it and let it bless you. And let's live it. I think it'll get God's attention.